morning. It's uh, wonderful to see all of you again and to be here. And uh, I can genuinely tell you that the roads are being worked on throughout Michigan. Uh, We definitely saw a lot of construction on the way here today, but we're grateful to be with all of you. And um, we pray God's blessing on each of you. We've been remembering you and and your church family here and the leadership, and uh, we always look forward to coming. So, well, let's pray together, and we'll open the scriptures. Father, thank you today for this opportunity to be here together with this wonderful group of people, your church here in Holland, Michigan. I pray that you would open our hearts to your word, help them to be receptive and responsive. We pray that you would sanctify us through your word. Your word is truth. In Jesus' name, amen. I've been bringing a series of messages uh, that I've entitled Steadfast Continuance. So if you'll take your Bibles, we're going to continue this series. Um, We're going to, I planned on doing two messages today, um, but we're going to do one in two parts. And God willing, if you ask me back, I'll finish the series. So, all right. So Acts chapter 2, and we're going to begin reading in the 37th verse, and we'll finish at uh, verse 42. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children And for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. The Puritan divine, Thomas Watson, once said, Prayer is the hand, or prayer rather, is the key of heaven, and faith is the hand of that turns it. We cry, Abba, Father. We cry, there is the fervency. Abba, Father, there is the faith. Fervency in prayer is as fire to the incense. It makes it ascend to heaven as a sweet perfume. To induce believers to pray in faith, let them remember the bountifulness of God He often exceeds the prayers of his people. Hannah asked a son. God gave her not only a son, but a prophet. 
Solomon asked wisdom, God gave him not only wisdom, but riches and honor beside. Jacob asked that God would give him food and raiment, but the Lord increased his riches to two bands. The woman of Canaan asked but the life of her child, but Christ not only gave her that, but the life of her soul also. Wonderful quote by Thomas Watson on the importance of prayer. So we're talking about this morning steadfastly continuing in prayer. Now this chapter that we're reading in chapter 2 is about the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon believers and he brought conviction uh, to the crowd, the crowd of uh, Jews that were gathered there for that day who were listening to the Apostle Peter preach this sermon. And 3,000 souls were saved that day. That is a tremendous scene, a beautiful scene. And what follows is baptism. No doubt baptism by immersion to show that salvation, the regeneration of their hearts had occurred, that they were now new creatures in Christ. But it also doesn't end there. As we see in verse 42, we see the continued discipleship of the believers. They continued steadfastly or they were continuously devoted to the apostles' doctrine, it says. And we've talked about that in one of the messages, what that was and the importance of it. And to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Now notice I use the definite article there. All four of those things, the doctrine, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. That's the way it reads in the original. Maybe you have an English Standard Version, and you see that as well. And that is an accurate description of this. Now what does the phrase the prayers mean. Why the use of the definite article in the original? Why not just say prayer? Why not just say they devoted themselves to the practice of prayer? Many times as believers, we, we think of prayer in terms of just private prayer. Or, you know, we hear about the importance of family prayer. But this speaks of the practice of corporate prayer in the local church. So the early church gathered together and they were continually devoted, steadfastly devoted to the practice of corporate prayer. Corporate prayer. In other words... They steadfastly continued together to meet in a common place for prayer together. Now, I want to share this main thought with you today, and that is this. Consistent corporate prayer made in a spirit-filled manner will heighten the spiritual vigor of a local congregation. I'll say that again. Consistent 
corporate prayer made in a spirit-filled manner will heighten the spiritual vigor of a local congregation. So this morning I would like to address a question. How does a local church pray in a spiritual manner? What does that look like? What are the key elements? Well, thankfully, we're not left to our imagination to try to understand what that looks like. The Apostle Paul, about 30 years later, after this was written, addresses his son in the faith, Timothy, and he instructs him on the key elements of what spirit-filled corporate prayer is to entail. So if you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter number 2. And we're going to be looking at this passage this morning as well as this evening. And so I'm going to read verses 1 through 8, and then we'll discuss the key outline points. Paul writes, First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings, be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, I am telling the truth, I am not lying, as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Well, in this passage, we're going to look at three key headings. The first is the characteristics of public prayer. That's what we're going to look at this morning in this message. What are the characteristics that are to be a part of public prayer? Second, the comprehensiveness of public prayer. Who does it involve? And thirdly, the conditions of public prayer. What is it to be like? So first of all, we're going to talk about, in this message this morning, the characteristics of public prayer. Paul lists here four types of prayer to be emphasized in the corporate prayer meeting. So when we gather together... As local churches, um, we are to incorporate these four characteristics in our prayers. And the first is entreaties, or we could say supplications. Notice that phrase. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties be made. So this speaks, in the original language, this speaks of a need 
privation, something we lack. And the verses that I'm going to turn to here all use the same, same Greek term that utilizes, and I think this will help us understand what this uh, phrase or this term in Greek is talking about and what, kind, what is a supplication, what is a treaty. Hold your place here. Turn over to Luke chapter 1 and verse 13. Again, this, is, this speaks of a need. It's asking God to meet a need. It's something that we're lacking, and we're going to God to meet a specific need that we lack. And if you remember this story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, Elizabeth was barren, and they prayed for a son. And if you look with me at Luke chapter 1 and verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition. See that? There's our word in Greek. Your petition has been heard, and your, life, your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. So this is, again, a supplication for a need, something that's lacking. It's also used again in the prayer of Anna, the prophetess, when Jesus was presented in the temple at Jerusalem. You remember Simeon gave that, that wonderful word, and then we come down to verse number, we'll pick it up in verse number um, 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of, Ephanuel of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and, here's our word, prayers, supplications, supplications, asking God, Lord, I want to see the Messiah, bring the Messiah. And so this was an answer to her prayers. Paul uses the term, if you'll flip over with me, to in Romans chapter 10, in verse number 1, praying for the salvation of Israel, the Jews. He says in verse number 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer, there's the term, it's deasis in Greek, to God for them, my prayer is, my supplication to God for them is their salvation. So this is, we are to present these supplications. Every church has needs. Every church. We all have needs. We all, we all long to see God work. We all long to see people saved. We all long to see revival. We all long to see the church grow. We all long to see provisions provided that we lack in our churches. What are we to do? The sin to avoid here, and this is something that we default to many times, brothers and sisters, is trying to pick up these things with our own understanding and our own way of thinking and to solve the problem right away. And so we get together, we put our brains together, and we come up with all kinds of ideas of how to make things come to pass 
in our church to provide for these things that we are lacking. But Paul says, first of all, Timothy, when you gather together for prayer, I urge that these supplications be made, these entreaties. You come and you present these needs to God, dependent upon him to provide for those things. Let's not present our needs um, as a church or family uh, to one another, leaning on our own understanding, taking matters into our own hands to achieve what we lack, but rather, first and foremost, go to God, seeking his wisdom, seeking his will, and waiting upon him to provide the answer. We see what happens many times if you look back at the nation of Israel of what happened when they got ahead of God and took matters in their own hands, right? Those things are written for our learning to help us to understand that we need to trust God and wait upon him in faith. Now there's a promise that we have here from scripture as well. And the promise is found if you'll turn over in James chapter and the word is used, the same term is used here in James 5, 16 through 18. And he talks about the, the end of the verse, the effective prayer, there's our term, of a righteous man can accomplish much. And then he uses Elijah as an example. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And then he prayed again, and the, sky, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced fruit. What's the point here? If we go to God in dependence upon him in faith, seeking his will, trusting in him as, as Christians, and filled with the Spirit, he's going to take care of those things. We will see the answer. The need will be provided. He's never let his people down, ever. So that's the first element. First characteristic of prayer is that we are to seek God with these supplications to meet the need and to seek that need and to go with his answer rather than our own. Now he uses another term here, and that is the term prayers. Now this is a common, the common word prayer, and it's, uh, I believe it's pronounced prasuke. I could be wrong, but that's what it looks like to me anyways. <laughs> and this speaks of prayers of devotion to God and worship. It's sometimes connected um, to a place of prayer. Jesus used it uh, when referring to the temple. Uh, when the money changers were in there, he says, this will be a house of prayer, a place devoted to God. So that's the idea here, is that the prayers, and in fact, our, our verse in Acts 2.42 uses this, these are devoted prayers to God. This is, this is we are devoting ourselves to seeking God and praying to God together. In fact, if you go to 
turn, hold your place, go to Acts chapter 1 and verse number 14. We see the word used here. It says in Acts 1.14 of the believers in the upper room. These all with one mind were, notice this, continually devoting themselves to prayer. They're devoting themselves to God. This is a, a devoted worship to God. And so they were together with one mind, devoted uh, to prayer. And then our scripture passage, steadfastly continuing or continuously devoted in prayer, the prayers actually in the Greek, the prayers. So there's a time in which the church is to gather together corporately to devote itself to God in prayer. And the prayer meeting is vital. Uh, many churches today sadly don't even have a prayer meeting. I'm glad to hear that you do. That's, that's good. Don't ever stop doing that. <laughs> don't ever stop meeting. I know many times in many places it it's, tends to be the least attended um, meeting and We'll talk about this as we maybe tonight as well. It doesn't have to just be one time during the week. Uh, sometimes it can be different homes where you have smaller groups meet for corporate prayer and have kind of a common, the common teaching, maybe the same lesson, different person teaching it and coming together for those prayers so that everyone can have an opportunity to participate in corporate prayer, meaning meeting together, not necessarily praying out loud. But it's important. We need to devote ourselves to this practice. In fact, Paul tells us in the book of Romans, uh, chapter number 12 and verse 12, if you want to turn there, he uses this term again. He says this, Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, and devoted in prayer. Now, if you're like me and you hear these things, you immediately think to yourself, I don't pray enough. I mean, I feel that way. I think all of us here today could say, Lord, we, we could pray more. We could be more devoted. So my, my intention here is not to shame you or to cause you to uh, feel awful. My, my, my purpose is to encourage you that we have this gift, that we have this opportunity, and that God will work in our midst in a powerful way when we come together and meet together in prayer. In fact, if you, if you look at church history, and you look at most of the revivals that, take, that have taken place, how do they start? Prayer meetings. Prayer meetings. They start in a prayer meeting. And it's like fire, not wildfire, but just the Spirit ignites a church. And God's power is manifested in a tremendous way in the lives of the people. Do you want the power of God in your life? 
Do you want to have victory over temptation and sin? Do you want to have the joy of the Holy Spirit? Do you want to have times of refreshing? Brothers and sisters, let us pray. Let us not neglect this. Let us seek God, and he will bring it. He will bring it. Let us not be prayerless as churches, but remember the words of Jesus. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh will tell you, I'm tired. I've worked eight hours today. I don't want to go to prayer. I just really don't want to do that. We have to die to self. We've got to say, Lord, you've called me to pray and participate with your body, your church, in prayer. doesn't mean you have to pray out loud, but you can come and be a part of the prayer meeting and pray with brothers and sisters and be a part of that meeting. Now, we are, while we are talking about the church's devotion to corporate prayer, we must also understand that we need to emphasize our private prayer lives as well and family prayer. For the church will only be as strong as its members and families. Charles Spurgeon once said this, All of our libraries and our studies are mere emptiness compared with our prayer closets. What, do you, what is he saying? Many times, and I'm, I'm guilty of this, many times in our Reformed circles, we pride ourselves and how many books we have and how many books we've read and how much theology we know. And it's, it's wonderful and it's fascinating and we want to grow in our understanding of God and his word. But what Spurgeon is saying is that's emptiness compared to the prayer closet. We need to have the fire of God, the power of God, and not just have minds with information. And I don't say that as a scolding. I'm just, I say that to myself. How often I go and I read and I preach or study, and I think to myself, how much more time you could have spent in prayer and should have spent in prayer, Eric. And so that's true for all of us, I think, that we can be more devoted to prayer. Now, there's a promise here that when we devote ourselves to God in prayer, when we have this prayer of dedication to him, are dedicated to prayer, Jesus promises, promises his disciples, he says, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. What is he saying? He's not saying, well, Lord, if I ask for a million dollars. No, because that's not a prayer devoted to God. It's a prayer that's saying, I want your will. I want you more than anything in the world. And when we go to God like that, he says, if you have faith, I'm going to answer that. I'm going to answer that prayer. As Spurgeon once said, my friends, it is one thing to go to church or the chapel. It is quite another thing to go to God. Let us go to God, not just church. Amen to that. Now, the third word is intercessions. Very simply, 
It says here, first of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions or intercessions, all right, be made on behalf of all men. These are prayers for others. Now listen very carefully because as I, as I studied this, I'm thinking, well, does it just mean to pray generally for the prayers of others? I think John Gill here really helps us to grasp this. Now there's three things he talks about here. The first is this. He says the term intercessions intends either complaints exhibited in prayer against others that have done injuries, that's number one, or prayers put up for others either for the averting of evil, in other words, protecting people from evil, or for the bestowing of some good thing on them. So we'll begin with the first one. Prayers of intercession include praying against others, but not in a hateful way, in a loving way, as we're going to see later on in this text. In other words, it would be to pray against anything outside of the will of God that is in that person's heart or life. Maybe they're an adversary, and, and, and they're an adversary to the truth. And so you don't pray, God, strike them dead. No, no, no. You pray, God, help them to understand what they're doing is wrong. Stop their, their attitude, their behavior. Open their heart to the truth. That's the correct way. They're not prayers of, of um, you know, imprecatory prayers, God, smite that person down. Give them a disease. No, 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 no. We never would do that. We would pray for their their benefit, that we would ask God to, to stop, to stop their, their evil deeds. For example, how would we pray for someone like Vladimir Putin, who has gone into the Ukraine and killed countless of people, his troops, putting his troops out there? What, what should we pray? Lord, Cause this man to see what he's doing. Stop this man. Stop the killing. Stop the war. Move in this situation. That's what it means to pray against. We're not praying that God would, would bring harm to people, but that God would change them. I think about Nebuchadnezzar and how God got a hold of Nebuchadnezzar and humbled him and turned the heart of a king. And so God can do that today. No, we're asking God in his mercy to bring people to faith, to stop them from doing harm to themselves spiritually or physically to others or to, or to other people, to, help, to ask God to stop them from doing these harmful things. Now, the prayer of intercession for others is also to be that they be protected from the evil one. What did Jesus say in the Lord's Prayer? He asked for protection against evil or the evil one. We have an adversary, do we not? That walketh around seeking whom he may devour. We need to pray for each other. Pray for each other in temptation. Pray for each other in trials, that, that we might be protected from the adversary. And then we are to pray for others that he might 
God might bestow his grace, his mercy, and his blessing upon one another. We're called to continually pray for one another. We all have needs, right? We all express those needs many times. Lord, um, I need this. I need that. And those are important things. Uh, You know, maybe we get sick. I recently, about two and a half weeks ago, had COVID. I'm okay now. (laughs) I'm not contagious. I've been to work for a week. But, you know, people prayed that I would get well. And I asked for prayer recently because I wanted to preach this week and not cough all the time. So that's great. But even more, Lord, help this person do the will of God. Grant that your grace and your strength and your mercy would be upon him or her. You see, we want to be spiritually blessed when we pray. And I think of of Jesus' example in his intercessory prayer. He says in John, it says in John chapter 17 and uh, verse number 20, Jesus prayed this for his disciples and us as well. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. We're to constantly be praying for each other and other believers throughout the entire world. I thought it was wonderful today that we prayed for a church in Ohio and their leaders. That's, that's right. That's, that's the right thing to do. That's fulfilling this, and that's great. We see the early church's example of intercessory prayer in Acts chapter 4, 23 to 31. We're not going to take time to read all that right now, but it's there. They prayed on behalf of, of Peter and John after they were persecuted and um, they were released. And God asked that they asked God that they might preach freely. And it says that the place was shaken after they prayed by the Holy Spirit. E.M. Bounds wrote this, Prayer must be broad in its scope. It must plead for others. Intercession for others is the hallmark of true prayer. Prayer is the soul of a man stirred to plead with God for men. The impact, brothers and sisters, of our lives on others will be strongest through prayer. Through prayer. Lastly, we see here that public prayer is to be characterized by thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. The term is, in Greek, the term from which we get our word Eucharist from. And it means thankfulness or the giving of thanks, gratitude. You know, sometimes... When we gather to pray, we're not very thankful. Do you struggle with that sometimes? I mean, if we're honest, we have to say, yes, we do. Thankfulness is very important in our prayer life. We are called to thankfulness all the time. I think of the old story of a minister. I think he was a Methodist, and the... He didn't have a very good reputation for being a good preacher, 
He was, a, I believe, a circuit rider, but he was known as someone that prayed powerfully. And one time, there was a small group of people at this camp meeting, not very many people there, gathered together, and it was a downpour of rain. Now, I say this reverently, but also there's a tinge of humor to this. This man had a thankful heart, a grateful heart. And so he began to pray, and he began to pray, said, Thank you, Father, for bringing us here together today. And he began to plead and make intercession. And then he said, I thank you, Father, that it's not always as bad as this. You know, he had that right attitude. And so many times we look at things as half empty, right? When we really ought to be looking at it as half full and saying, God, thank you for what you've given, and we trust you to give more. Many times as Christians we can come, become very dissatisfied, but we need to remember that we're here to please one, God. We're not to please ourselves. That's not, the, that's not what we're here for. We're here to please God. And we have many things to be thankful for. Colossians 4.2 says this, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. So prayer is always to have thanksgiving as a component with it. If you go back over to 2.7, he says, or uh, verse 6, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing, overflowing with gratitude. And then we see in Philippians 4, 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Complaining, arguing, ingratitude, those are fleshly things. And when we fall into that, we need to confess it immediately and get away from that. It has no place in your life, my life. It has no place in the life of a family. It has no place in the life of a church. The Bible tells us, a few verses up, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. And he also tells us, to do all things without grumbling or disputing. We have a promise here. He tells us that when we pray with thanksgiving, he says, the peace of God, it's a wonderful thing, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. We can't comprehend it. We can't understand it. It's just there. It's from God. It's a gift. It will garrison, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Are you anxious today? 
You know what happens? We often get anxious. We get frustrated. And then we just complain. We're all guilty of it. But what is the will of God? The will of God is don't do that. Rather rejoice and be thankful. And go to him with these needs, these prayers, with thanksgiving, trusting him to provide. And we're promised the peace of God will replace that anxiety. And it will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So as we close today, we're going to close at this point in our text. And I would just say, let us examine our hearts. Let us look within and may the Spirit help us to see. Are we people devoted to prayer? And if not, will you devote yourself to prayer? Will you begin attending prayer meetings? Will you come together and pray? And will these things be a part of your prayer meeting? Be thankful. Be thankful. Ask the Lord to provide the things that are lacking while expressing your gratitude for his faithful provision. And then this evening we'll continue this text and consider the comprehensiveness and the conditions of public prayer. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity again to bring your word. I pray that you will write it upon our hearts. I pray that you will strengthen us and encourage us to be men and women of fervent prayer. Lord, we, we fail in this area. All of us, we, we know this, but we also are grateful today. For the gift of prayer, that we can come directly through to you through the mediation of Jesus Christ, our high priest. And so, Father, help us today to know that we can come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in our time of need. And we, we also know that we can pray for wisdom and that you do not uh, scold us for that, but you so desire that we come. So may we come even now with hearts of prayer, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Encouraging word. Uh, we'll close our time together by singing uh, Christ of All My Hopes, The Ground, which is hymn number 437 in the Blue Hymnal. Let me just mention to you, too, some of you perhaps have not been with us that long. Um, you may have picked up what we do, but at the, at the close of our service, after we sing the final hymn, there's usually a, the piano will play, uh, play through a, a melody, uh, a hymn, and that is a time that's provided for us to meditate on what we've heard preached from the word. So you can pray, you can think about it, you can reflect on it, but that's the purpose of that time. And that's a longstanding tradition amongst uh, fellow churches of our kind. And we encourage you to take advantage of that opportunity. Let's uh, stand together and sing Christ.